Welcome to the Bridge Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from our equipping pastor, Dennis Kozlov. To access other resources or to find out more information about our church, visit thebridgespringfield.com or find us on social media at The Bridge Springfield. All right, guys, we're continuing our series that we called The Heart of the New Covenant. And for those of you who haven't been here before, and by the way, I, I've seen a lot of new people. My name is Dennis, and I originally do not. I come from another country, from another culture. I was born in the Soviet Union, the culture that doesn't, I mean, the country that doesn't even exist anymore. So I hope my accent wouldn't bother you too much. When I get excited, I butcher English grammar. So you get, if, if you're grammar Nazi, we'll pray for extra grace for you. So... Be patient with me. Try to get the meaning of what I'm trying to say, all right? So we're doing this series that we call The Heart of the New Covenant. And basically, by the heart of the New Covenant, we mean the collection of books in the New Testament written by Paul that form and shape what we know as Christian doctrine. And I know for some of you, Christian doctrine sounds like something boring and not really related to your life, and that's a lie. For Paul, it was the power that was so invigorating that he didn't care whether he was in jail or he was beaten by people or arrested or running real risk to lose his life. He would preach this good, good news of God that he called my gospel. So those are five books, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. We will only cover two books in this series, Ephesians and Colossians. But before I do that... As I was preparing for this message, someone brought up this question and asked me to elaborate on that. And the question is, why do you guys stress the love of God so much? Aren't you guys going overboard, maybe? Maybe, I don't know. So I'm going to try to address that today. So it's, it's not really part of the message. It's like an important caveat that I need to make to remind you why we do what we do, all right? So, before I read the Scripture, the book of Ephesians, I want to tell you that to live well, you need to love well. And to love well, you need to know that you're loved. As simple as that. Maybe I shouldn't elaborate it anymore. (laughs) I'll say it again. To live well, we need to love well. And we're not able to love well unless we know we're loved. That's how it works, guys. All right, so there is a very important principle that we cannot really be part of anything that God is doing if we remain in our natural state that we inherited from Adam. The image that I got, I was looking through through the little video clips that our media team posts on Facebook, and one of the videos was, it was a clear cup with black coffee, and in slow motion, they were pouring the creamer in it. And you can see how creamer enters into the coffee and just begins to permeate the coffee and it's a kind of it's beautiful it's like clouds are filling it and before you know it the entire color of the cup is changed and that's a great picture of what God is trying to do with you my friend he is pouring himself into you 
He wants to permeate in every, every fiber of your being with His Spirit. That even your quirks would become instruments in His hand. Here's the problem, though. In our natural state that we inherited from Adam, we're uh, chosen frozen. Seriously. We don't believe that we are loved. And that condition freezes us and closes us up and doesn't allow the Spirit of God to enter into us. What is it that Satan attacked when he approached Adam and Eve? He attacked their trust in God's love and goodness for them. And that's the beginning of our trouble. And that's, God wants to pour out so much into us, but when we are this frozen chosen, it just doesn't get through. Do you see the image? That's why, I'm sorry guys, I don't know, maybe you're like, you're totally melted by the message of the love of God, but I'm not. I need more of that. And I don't think you are either. Because I just see how you sit and I understand this guy needs more love of God to receive. <laughs> or this girl. All right? And that's why we, we, we keep doing that. It's a very important principle, you know. And I, I fully understand. You know, some people are offended by how much we preach and sing about being the focal point of God's love. And loving kindness and redemptive actions. For them it sounds... A little bit too self-focused. I used to be that. I used to judge people and say, ha, ah, it's all about you. You think all about you. You think the world spins around you. You think... Rah, 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 rah. <laughs> that was just a reverse pride disguised by spirituality. I'm spiritual. I'm about God's plans in this earth. Those people are all about themselves. And I understand we all need, we all need to be delivered from the small mindset of being self-focused, self-seeking, egotistical persons. We all have a tendency to be that. We all have small, tiny worlds that we need to be rescued from. And how do you, how can you be rescued from the small world person, from a myopic, short-sighted person who doesn't see anything that doesn't relate to him directly by seeing something grand? But the problem is that we're like, we're glued to ourselves. We're frozen. So we need to be melted. And the only thing that can melt us is the love of God for you personally. Not for all these wonderful people, for you personally, Jimmy. You need to be melted, Keith, <laughs> personally, by a personal Love of God poured out into you personally. And it's okay. It's not only okay. It's what God wants for you. Because he doesn't want you to be frozen. All right? Can I hear an amen? amen? Thank you. Thank you. So it's like an oxygen mask on the, on the airplane. The first time I got on the plane and they started making all these weird announcements. And they said, in the case of like uh, losing pressure, the oxygen mask will fall down and you need to grab it first and put it on yourself before you try to help your wife and your children. I said, how selfish. No, it's not. The prudence requires that. And God's prudence requires that you get warmed up by the love of God until you're like a puddle of, I don't know. <laughs> we all need that. And I'm, I'm looking for the day when some of you will hit by the love of God so much that you wouldn't move for hours. You're like, oh, Lord. 
You're so good to me. And if somebody is bothered by that, they need to be hit by God's love. Do you hear me? Thank you very much. I'm so glad. Oh, man. So don't try to be more spiritual than David in the Old Testament. He knew the secret. In Psalm 103, he said, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget not all of his benefits. Who forgives all of your iniquity, my soul. Who heals all of your diseases, my soul. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with a steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfied you with good. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Do you preach to yourself like that before you praise the Lord? I'm getting Pentecostal today. That is awesome. (laughs) So don't try to be more spiritual than David. Don't try to be more spiritual than Paul. Paul said, blessed be the Lord of our, of our Father, the Lord of our God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. That's a revelation of the new covenant. This is so selfish. You're thinking about yourself. No, I see God's heart. And his heart is excited about you. But your heart is frozen, so he wants to melt your heart with his love so that he can fill you with yourself, with himself. And then you will be able to pour out to others. To live well, you need to love well. And to love well, you need to be loved well. Live loved. Learn to live loved. That's, that's my friend Jeremiah. He's been trying to come to our church for months. And finally, he, he began to listen to these messages, religious detox. And he said, they're getting me. And I saw him, whoa, it's like Jesus came back finally. He said, I'm coming soon. And he kept telling me that. I'm sorry, Jeremiah, I'm putting you in a tight spot. <laughs> Dude, that was supposed to be a caveat, not the message yet. So I don't know. How do I come back to the message now? You got the point? So if you have a problem with the love of God, don't come to this church. Find a bunch of like other churches. There are plenty. Go. But you'll come back. You'll be like a boomerang. Why don't you stand and melt in the love of God? All right? Amen. And all God's people said? Great. Wonderful. It probably was a good message. I can sit down. But I promise you to go into the book of Ephesians. And I'll try. I'll try. The other day when I was reading different commentaries and listening to different smart people, one of them referred to the book of Ephesians as a Grand Canyon of the New Testament. And it is so, especially the first three chapters. And I thought, how in the world am I going to give a people a tour in like whatever, whatever, like 20 minutes that is left through a Grand Canyon of the New Testament? All I can do is I can put you on a high place and say, voila, and step aside. And I'll try to do that. All of you will be looking at different spots, but I just hope that you will realize how grand this thing is. So I've said enough about the love of God for you personally. Having said that, now I'm moving to the book of Ephesians. And I want to bring your attention that Ephesians, the book of Ephesians has never been written as a personal manual for your personal walk with God. It's a book that is written to a church. Do you hear me? So (laughs) 
if you're not part of the church, if you're not part of the community, it's not really applicable to you very much on a practical level. Theoretically, yes, it's all true about you. But this book is written, every single personal pronoun that is used, and it's used profusely, we, us, we, to, to them, for us, it's all plural. There's not a single one that is like, it's me. It's about me. Yes, you are the focal point of God. I just told you about it, right? But there's more for you. Remember when, when Neil was sharing how he held Wes when he was born and he just got melted by looking at him and he said, that's how God feels about you. Absolutely the same thing. I totally back it up. But you know, he wants this little baby. Like we have a baby who visited our church for the first time today. Cute, little, tiny. And melts parents' hearts, I'm sure, and grandparents' But there is a greater plan. This baby is going to grow. And then this baby is going to be able to sit on its own. And then one day this baby will actually get up and try to walk. And fall and cry and get up again. And then it will run. And then it will ride a bicycle. And then it will go to... And then it will start speaking. And you will start having a whole new level of relationship with this baby. How do you call this? You call it a growth, Right? God wants us to grow. How do we grow? We grow into the vision of what is it that God wants to do in this world. And that vision has been a mystery for centuries in the previous generations. And how can I call this mystery by one word? Or No, I can't. I can give you two words. Christ and the church. Christ and the church. And let's get into the text now. Let's get into the Grand Canyon of the New Testament. I'm going to read. I'm going to put you on a high place of chapter 1. Then I'm going to skip chapter 2. I'll leave it for Neil because it's a valley. I don't like to be in a valley. <laughs> it's not really a valley, but he's talking about the negative conditions that God saves us from. So it's important. But then he jumps back to the high place of chapter 3. And it almost feels like chapter 3 is... Almost like he's retelling chapter 1 in different words. He's like rephrasing the same thing. It's like he, he, he bursted out sharing. He spilled his guts about it. Then he went to the valley and he said, did they really get what I just told them? Let me do it again. And he did it again. That's why I'm going to read two chapters today, all right? Chapter 1 and chapter 2. And by the way, he greets in first three verses. And then from verse 3 through verse 14 of chapter 1, do you know that it's one sentence in Greek? Your whole chapter almost is just one sentence. Wow, exactly. And, and it feels like Paul goes like, guys, let me tell you something. Very important. Are you listening? They go, yes. He goes, <gasps> whatever he could just spill it out in one breath before he faints, he did it. And it's so pithy. I have no clue how to unpack it. Oh, my goodness, my goodness got us here right now honestly Ooh, man i'm sorry for being weird i love to be weird okay let's let's read it chapter 1 verses from 3 3 to 10 blessed be and by the way are you doing my homework i gave you homework last time are you doing it i hope you're doing it and the, the, yes to read the first three chapters of ephesians and do it slowly and prayerfully all right okay Ephesians 1, 3 through 10 first. Blessed be 
the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing oh, in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. In love. He predestined us for adoption. Why did I read in love twice? Because until today, scholars have no clue where to put the comma. Because in ancient Greek, there is no punctuation. It's just one line, one sentence. And some say we should say he predestined us in love. And some say, no, no, he wants us to be before him in love. And I say, yes. Yes, both. He predestined us for, adopt, for adoption to himself as sons. And again, we said it many times, sons has nothing to do with your sex or gender. It, back at that culture, it denoted the fullest measure that a person can inherit from a family. So you all are sons of God in Jesus. Do you hear that? So nobody is excluded. Don't worry about it. In Him, we have redemption through His blood. Oh, no. Yes, I haven't finished that. Oh, I'm sorry. It's, I'm telling you. It's easy to, to, to get lost in Grand Canyon. He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. Pay attention to these words. According to the purpose of His will. Good pleasure of His will. For the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. According to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and all insight, making known to us, listen to this, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of times to unite all things in Him, which is in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth we have seen last week that God is not sin focused Neil preached to us how many of you have been here last time God is not sin focused a lot of churches a lot of groups a lot of uh, denominations they love to 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 bring all of your attention to sin to make you a sin conscious person and when you become such a person it kills you spiritually because it has never been a plan of God how much attention does he give to your sins? He mentions it in chapter 1. Then he gives more attention to in chapter 2. But he's telling you about it as something that has been dealt with by God. And he is taking you right back into the heart of God. So the heart of the New Testament is the revelation that is not focused on the problem to be fixed. But it's about a purpose to be fulfilled. And today I want to talk about this purpose. He reveals many things in this chapter. But I want to talk about today, if you listen carefully as I was reading chapter 1, he was talking about the purpose, the plan. And if you read different translations, it has different words. But it gives you an idea that God's heart was filled with his heart's desire that brings him pleasure. 
and he developed a plan to fulfill and to bring this pleasure of his to the utmost degree. And all that he has been doing through the history of human race, he's been fulfilling this plan. And people saw glimpses of who God is and what he's doing. And they were trying to connect the dots, but they couldn't. Because Paul said, it remained a mystery. And this mystery has finally been revealed in Christ. It was at the same time fulfilled and revealed. And I want to talk about this will of God today. The topic of God's will is very complicated sometimes, and it shouldn't be. According to Paul, we're going to look at what Paul meant when he meant about the mystery of God's will revealed to him. Some people believe anything and everything that happens is God's will. That's not true. That's just a lie. If it's true, there's no point of us gathering here. Everything that happens today, like it's a perfect will of God. So just suck it up and take it. Why are we talking about something else? Why are we talking about that there's, a, there's our part, there's a part of, why do we pray? Because God, what happens is not the will of God actually. That's why we pray. A lot of things that happen in your life are not in line with God's will. That's why we come here, we fellowship, we pray, we talk. Well, anyway, I'm not going to get distracted. So some believe that God has a specific tailor-made will for each person. And he's like a great accountant or attorney and he's just checking and you're checking. And your goal in life is to find the specific will of God and stick with this. And that will make things go well and hunky-dory. Well, there's some truth to that, but it's not what Paul means when he talks about revealed mystery of God's will. When Paul speaks of God's will, he speaks of the ultimate will of God. The ultimate will of God. His heart's desire expressed as a plan conceived in his heart and in his mind. Something specific, something that was not known in the previous generations. I want to start kind of with this funny question. I'm going to ask you this question. Have you ever had a strong desire? Do you know what you want right now? That's a good question, actually. Believe it or not, it's a great question. Do you know what you want in life, like right now? I'm not sure. When I was six years old, the time came when I, all of a sudden I knew what I want in life. I wanted a real motorcycle. I don't know why it's, I just like, I just fell in love with motorcycles. And I was like six years old. And I would come, every time I would see a motorcycle parked on the street, I would come to it and I would just start gazing at it and just drooling over it. And like, it was so beautiful. It was like a candy that can ride. I was like, oh, shiny, all these colors. And, and I, I had this theory, like maybe if I just stand and stare at it like intently enough, the owner will come see this little kid, have sympathy and just give it to me. <laughs> it never happened. <laughs> this is called wishful thinking. <laughs> Usually wishful thinking doesn't happen. Well, sometimes God plans some desires and dreams in your heart and they're beyond the reach of you. So you can't really develop any plan. Like for... For me, that was moving to the States. When I was little, I was like fascinated with America because they were showing all these evil programs on TV about evil Americans who want to attack and all of that. And I was like, wow, I want that. But it was beyond my wildest dreams. So when I was flying first time in America, I was pinching myself. I couldn't believe it. I'm in America. Ah. 
Little did I know I'm going to move here and leave here and like minister to Americans. Wow. Well, getting distracted. But I remember when I was like 30 some years old and I already had kids and I already had bills and I already had burdens of life. One businessman, Christian businessman, we developed a good friendship and he really, I don't know why, I got a lot of favor with this guy and he just wanted to bless me. And his idea of blessing someone was not to meet their needs, but to bless them with something that they would never buy for themselves because it's kind of a luxury. Something that they want, but they would never buy it because it's not on the priority list. So he asked me like, hey, Dennis, and he explained his idea. He said like, what is it that you would never buy, but you would really love to have? Something that is not what you need, but what you want. And that was a big revelation for me. I sat for like five minutes and I had no clue. Seriously, I went blank. I tried. Nothing. I, I said, I can't give you my needs. Like my daughter needs this. I need this. I need, we need that. I said, no, I'm not talking about that. What is it that beyond your needs? What, what is it that you really would love to have, would enjoy? And I was like, huh? Blank. So why did I bring it up? Well, first of all, maybe for some of you, you need to like really do some research and like Maybe the, 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 the burdens of life took away your dreams and you need to, to let God restore those dreams. That's one thing. But I'm not talking about this now. I'm talking about that our God is, you know, it's so cool when somebody knows what they want. They believe it's possible, although it might be very hard, but it's possible. They develop a plan to pull it off and they're doing it and they're progressing. Have you seen those people? They're, they're like powerhouses. You want to be around them. Because all of a sudden, you begin to believe in yourself. Like, oh, he's doing it. Oh, I can change life? That's amazing. That's like a miracle. I, I thought I'm stuck in this Groundhog's Day job forever. Oh, I can change it? Are you serious? Well, anyway. So, I'm, I'm really getting distracted. Uh, Sister Nancy came to me to stay focused. The Lord told me, Dennis, stay focused. So, I'm going to obey so I just want to tell you that good news for us is our God is such a person. He had a passionate desire. He had a dream and he developed a plan and he chose how he will carry this plan out and he has done it in Jesus Christ. And the focal point of this plan is Jesus Christ and us as his church. The church remained to be a mystery before Paul came to scene. Even in the first messages of the first apostles in the book of Acts, you, we don't see much about the church. Paul was the one who began to receive a revelation. And remember two weeks ago, I told you about how the ministry of Paul began. One minute he knew it all, and next minute he was devastated by the meeting of the Lord Jesus. Remember that? And what he learned from the first moment... That when you try to touch people that belong to Jesus, you touch Jesus himself. He said, Lord, Lord, who are you? I don't know you. He said, I know you don't know me, but you persecute me. What? That's how much Jesus identifies with his people, with the church. And that was the seed of revelation, one of the revelation that began to unfold and flourish in Paul's ministry. And that's a revelation of the church. I'm going to read chapter 3 right now. I'm going to skip most of my uh, 
things. God wants to unite heaven and earth together. He wants to fill everything with Himself. And He chose to do it through Christ and His body on this earth. And His body is you. The church is His body. And it's not a figure of speech, my friend. It's serious. It's amazing. It's crazy. So I'm going to read chapter 3, verses from 3 through 11. And Paul says, How the mystery was made known to me by revelation. As I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it is now being revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles, that's you guys, your Gentiles, are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of His power to me. Though I'm very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. He created all things to fulfill this plan so that through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The whole spiritual realm, all these weird creatures that we read about in the Bible, cherubim, seraphims, angels, archangels, they're looking at you. Because you are the mystery of God's plan being revealed and unfolded. We live in our small worlds trying to deal with our small problems and all along God wants us to be melted by His love and to be, to receive the sight and see what's going on because His grace wants to be expressed. He wants to be expressed. He created you as a vessel to be filled with Himself so that He can express Himself through you. So. We have a very low understanding of what church is. But if you study the book of Ephesians carefully, slowly, you would realize that this is the main revelation of the book of Ephesians, Christ and His church. There are seven things that Paul is using, seven images that he's using to describe, trying to communicate this amazing mystery. He calls it the body of Christ. He calls it one new man made of Jews and Gentiles together. He calls it the kingdom. He calls you citizen of heaven now. He calls it the household of God. He calls it the special dwelling place of God. That's why when we gather together, we expect God to move. And today we're expecting God to move during the time of worship and during the time of prayer because it's a dwelling place of God according to the revelation of the New Testament. He calls it the bride, the wife. 
Have you ever seen a good, good bridegroom looking at the bride? Is he ever unhappy with her? He's drunk with love. He wants honeymoon soon. He wants it now and he wants it all. That's the image God decided to use describing him and us. Hello. Dennis, you're so indecent. It's church. Exactly. One of the, our brothers came today in a hoodie and he has, it says, kill the toxins before they kill you. That's a prophetic message for some of you. Gosh. Well, anyway, guys, I have two minutes left. So I want you to keep reading slowly and steadily. And know that you're not just about you in this little world of yours. You're to be rescued from that because you're part of the body. We need to begin to develop the body consciousness. You know what the body consciousness is? That when you don't shop for church or for ministry or for this or for that, when you realize God is sending me to this congregation or to this group or to whatever, and you realize you are a member. I'm going to read. This is important. I'm going to read these two verses as I finish and I pray. First one is found in the book of first books of Corinthians, chapter 12, verses 26 and 27. No, no, first one is actually, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 12, 12. And Paul continues the same image in the different epistle. He says, for just as the body is one, body is one, but has many members. They're not separated or disintegrated. Only when they're attached together, the body is there. And all the members of the body, all of them are members of the same one body. Through, though many, there are one body, so it is with Christ. We need to begin to develop this body consciousness that God wants to connect heaven with earth. And he's doing it through an agent on this earth. And this agent is us as the church because we have already been connected Hence the name bridge of our church that we recently took. Connection. You are connected. And you're called to connect others. And body consciousness is this. It's described in the same book in the same chapter a little further in verses 26 and 27, chapter 12. He says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Live with it. <laughs> you gotta know, you gotta start living with it. Live loved and then live realizing that you, you're not the whole picture. You're just a member, you're just a part, and that part has a place in the body. God is adding Himself. How Church is a supernatural thing. It's not just a gathering of strange people reading a strange book. It's a supernatural entity. And it takes the eyes of faith to see it. Begin to see it, my friend. So let me pray, guys. I mean, there's so much. Again, it's like Grand Canyon. I cannot, I can, like, I would stay for a year in this epistle. But I want you to really, really read this first three chapters slowly. Pray yourself into this text. Let this text wash over your soul. Let it speak to you. Just know that you're loved, but know that there's a bigger thing 
for you than just your little problems and your little world. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope you received a fresh revelation of the gospel of grace and that you experience the goodness of God in your everyday life. For more content like this or to stream our services live, visit thebridgespringfield.com. Have an awesome week.